Welcome to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week, where our goal is to equip the believer to do the work of the ministry. We hope that you enjoy this week's sermon by the senior leader here at Gateway Church, Pastor Chris Monahan. Amen. Well, we're so grateful to be here today. Um, I just heard a testimony from Kim. Kim, wave your hand over there. You know, she has been battling with her foot. The doctor, they went to the doctor, and for years they said, we're going to have to take this foot off because of circulation issues. And um, we know we've all been contending in prayer. You've been contending in prayer. But she left the doctor last week with a Band-Aid, and they just said, we don't know how this happened. You should be leaving here without a foot, and you're leaving without a Band-Aid, just a Band-Aid. So let's give God a shout of praise for the healing that he does. Continuing to contend. Amen. I want to talk today, continue our talk on Colossians. And Colossians was a book that Paul had written. Paul had written this. Um, he had never visited the Colossian church. But when you read the Bible, there's always a way to read it and say, what was Paul addressing to the Colossian church? And what he was addressing in this letter, and I want to hit on today, is the supremacy of Christ. Can everybody say the supremacy of Christ? Christ supreme. You know, not taco supreme, Christ supreme. He's not just a better taco, okay? Jesus is lifted up in the book of Colossians. And Paul was addressing what was going on in the Colossian church, and it was actually close to the Laodicean church as well. And he was addressing their view of Christ. How many know that Christ is the Son of God? He is everything His Father is deserving worship and honor, and Jesus' name has all authority and all power in heaven and on earth. Does that get you excited? Somebody say Jesus this morning. There's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus doesn't wear jewelry because he breaks every chain. That's terrible. Okay. Uh, I can't believe you laughed at that, but anyway, that's okay. We love you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for laughing, though. So let's look at Colossians 2, chapter, uh, verse 6 through 7. And it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Can we all read this together? Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The first thing I want you to fill in with your bulletin is Jesus needs to be understood. There was something happening in the Colossian church where they were not honoring Jesus, giving Jesus the proper place. And what happens with a cult is a cult begins to stop treating Jesus and giving Jesus his proper place, the worship, the honor, the place in our lives that he deserves. I worked in the restaurant business. I've trained hundreds of wait staff. Uh, I used to work in a retirement home. So we we're always training the waiters when they come in. And we were in one of these restaurants where you'd have to stack, you know, you have a, a table of like 15 people come in. So you have the stack, the plates with the little tops on them, and you had to stack them up. And we always told them, make sure that the heaviest 
rack of dishes is in the center. That, and if you're carrying it, you don't want to put the heaviest to one side or the other because then the tray will flip. And then you're going to see China on your paycheck, and we're not talking about vacation pay. Jesus has to be the center of our lives. If we move him off center, you're going to see China on your pay. No, I don't know. That doesn't work for that one. We can't move him out of the center because he is, he is weighty. Jesus is not just good being a good teacher or a good influence in your life. He's not even good with just being your Savior. He has to be Lord, the Master, the one we listen to. What he says goes. And when you have the fear of the Lord in your heart, nothing else can scare you. I believe that perfect love is the fear of the Lord. Then we don't have to be afraid of anything. But the Colossians were losing that understanding of Jesus. A number of years ago, as, as I was, we were leading worship one time and we were singing out, open up your heart, Lord, and let me in. Open up your heart and let me in. And it was, I saw this picture as, as I was praying this. And so many times we see, we, we think as Christians, we're asking Jesus into our hearts. But this day, in this moment, I actually saw myself entering into the heart of Jesus. And it was so beautiful. I think I have a little picture of that. But can you imagine, I just saw like the door opening and me stepping into Jesus' heart and like, I feel like this is the season where we're not asking Jesus into our heart, but we're stepping into the heart of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? We have to understand when Paul was writing to Colossians, he said this in Colossians 2.2. He says, I'm contending for you that your hearts will be wrapped in the comfort of heaven and woven together in love's fabric. This will give you access to all the riches of God as you experience the revelation of God's great mystery, Christ. See, when Jesus came to this planet, it confused the Jewish people. The Greeks didn't understand it. So we have to understand the study of the Scriptures to study out the Scriptures and make the Bible not just something that, that we use to, to talk to people, but it, when you're with the Word of God, you're with Jesus. You have an understanding of who He is. And so many times we hear theologians and scholars and other people telling us this is what you need to believe. The beautiful thing is all of us have access to the Word of God. And there's nothing that we can do here at the church that can make you grow more than you having your own devotional time in the Word of God, spending time with Jesus every day. I'm good, but I'm not good enough for you. You guys are way too much work for me. I can barely change myself, so I'm just free. I'm going to give you some tools that will help you, but you're a little bit more work. So it's important that we have the right narrative when we're reading the Bible. Everybody say narrative. All right, so... This is how I'm going to tell you the story today. I hit my head a couple months ago, so if anything comes across weird, now come on. That's no fair. I'm going to use this excuse as long as I can. If you don't have the right narrative when you're reading the Bible, it's not going to come alive to you. It's not going to help you. 
if you think God's like not in a good mood, you like to be around people that are angry at you? No. You like to be around people that are judging you and they think they're better than you? I don't. But that's the way we have a picture of God. We don't see him smiling. We don't see him looking down at us and cheering us on. You know, his banner over me is not good enough. His banner over me is try harder. That's unfortunately the narrative that most of us have received in the church, unfortunately. You know, I got invited to Cambodia a couple years ago, and he told me, he says, Chris, we just need somebody over there to make them happy, bring some joy. I said, all right, I can do that. That's really what he told me to do is come over, let them know that the gospel isn't a book of rules. It's a book that trains you how to be a ruler. Oh, come on. Isn't that good? So if we have the wrong narrative, and I'm going to give you this story, and I'm going to play a video clip. Now, how many people here have seen the Christmas movie, The Elf? All right. Happy. If you haven't seen the Christmas movie with The Elf, it's this happy little elf. He gets, goes to the North Pole, and he's raised building toys, and then he finds his father and gets reunited with his father, and everybody's real. And it's just a great, happy children's movie. Everybody smile. Elf. Okay, let's say that somebody says, hey, we're going to go watch Elf, but did you know this is actually a horror flick? And you've never seen it. You're like, what? Elf is a... They're trying to give you the narrative. Oh, yeah, Elf is like the best horror blood flick you've ever seen out there. You're like, really? And they're like, yeah, let me, let me show you the movie trailer for the elf. And what you're going to see is you're going to see parts of the elf, but somebody has put it together, different scenes with scary music behind it, so to convince you that elf is actually a horror flick. I hit my head a couple of months ago, but go ahead and run this. See what you guys think. Yeah. Mr. Hobbs? Go ahead. Yeah, I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Excuse me. I'm here to see a Walter Hobbs. Dad! I walked all day and night to find you. You look like you came from the North Pole. <laughs> exactly where I came from. It's a little complicated, but it's nothing Honey. that we can't handle. Honey. Thinks he's an elf. I'm sorry, what? I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I can't go to sleep unless I get tucked in. I'm sorry. So what did this creator do is they presented the movie in a way that they took pieces out, put some scary music behind it, and represented it 
as a horror flick. Now, if you've never seen The Elf before, how many be convinced this is probably a horror flick, right? This is what people have done with the Bible. They've taken pieces out. They've put it back together. And you think, oh, my gosh, what am I getting into? Is God angry with me? Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What's his purpose? And so we have to oftentimes go back into the scriptures and retrain everyone. This is what the message of the Bible is. When Jesus came to the planet, let's look at Colossians 2, 3. The Bible says, for our spiritual wealth is in him, like a hidden treasure waiting to be discovered, heaven's wisdom, and endless riches of revelation knowledge. That's found in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who died, the one who suffered, the one who was buried, and the one who was risen again was not just raised for you, but with you. He's come, and his Father gave him the kingdom. Remember, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. His daddy gave him authority. What we see in the Bible is a picture of a father that looks at his son and says, I'm giving you everything. We serve a God who's willing to empty himself of all his power and authority and give it to another. That should blow your mind right there. If I was God, I don't know if I would let go of all my authority and power. And then Jesus said, as the Father has given it to me, I freely give it to you. As my Father has conferred the kingdom on me, so I confer the kingdom on you. Chew on that for a little bit. From the Father, from Yahweh to his Son, gives the kingdom. Jesus says, now I have the kingdom. Now I give it to all my followers. That's authority, my friend. It's not a book of rules. It's a book training us to believe this crazy good news that I'm telling you today. We have to receive it. We have to believe it. And we have to step into it. Colossians 2.4 says, I want you to know this so that no one will come and lead you into error through their persuasive arguments and clever words. Number two, Jesus is supreme. We must comprehend the supremacy of Jesus. There is no other name by which man can be saved. The name of Jesus has the authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. You and I have to use that name. It's like when I mail this, my letter, if I don't put the stamp on it, it doesn't get where it needs to go. We have to use the authority of the name of Jesus because he is supreme. Everybody say supreme. And Paul says, beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness. So Paul is addressing to the Colossian church that, and I love what he says in, in Colossians 2.9, he is the complete fullness of deity or divine nature living in human form. He is everything his father is. I wrote a book a number of years ago called Heaven's Dynasty, and it was to emphasize, just like King David, 
gave his son Solomon the kingship or the throne. That's the picture that we have here in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Yahweh is king. He's ruling. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, I am the son of God, the son of Yahweh, who now is assuming the throne of the Father. Now, Jesus is eternal. He is everything his Father is. We worship him. But he is assuming the throne. There's a distinction between the Father and the Son. Who do we pray to? We pray to the Father as Jesus comes alongside us. We are full of his Spirit. He breathes on us. We receive his Spirit. And we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. How many know you don't show up to court without a lawyer? Jesus is. <laughs> that was not a confession time, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> I, Jesus himself, um, Jesus himself is our lawyer. He is who we pray with when we're praying to the Father. You never pray alone. When Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, we're praying alongside Jesus. And then they say, well, what about the part where Jesus says, well, forgive us our sins. That wouldn't be Jesus' prayer. Yes, it is. Because he's saying, hey, you know, the Christmas sins here, Father, it's ours now. We took them to the cross. Actually, they're mine. Because Jesus paid for my sin. Don't steal from Jesus. He paid for your sin. His, your sin now belongs to him. If you feel guilty over your sin and you live in guilt, you should. If you feel guilty over your unrepented sin, you should go to God and get repentance and get healing. But if you repented of your sin, they're no longer your sins. My trash man takes my garbage every Wednesday morning. I don't call him up on Thursday or Friday and say, hey, can I come out and see how my trash is doing? That's weird. Colossians 2.10 says, and our completeness is now found in him. You understand, Jesus came as a man to this planet. He came as a man. We step in to his covenant, to his life, and we have fullness. We have the fullness of his divine nature. When we step into Christ, our completeness and found in him, we are completely filled with God. As Christ's fullness overflows within us, he is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. So when we're struggling, we have to just step into Jesus. When everything around us is chaotic, we step into the person of Jesus. He became man so we could experience everything God wanted for Jesus. We too can experience it. But Jesus has to be supreme. And I'm not saying that we ever are worshipped. That's the only, you worship the Father, you worship the Son. You, we are never, we'll never be worshipped. We are the ones that get, that get to partake in His nature, in His fullness. Number three, we have to see that as Jesus is supreme, how many know that Jesus was successful in His mission to do what He was called to do? How many think Jesus was successful? He did a pretty good job. He fulfilled His plan. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Now, if I believe that Jesus was completely successful in conquering death, hell, and the grave when he went to the cross, 
I believe that he came to heal our diseases and forgive our sins. I believe he completely did the job well. Okay. Success. Let's read what happened when Jesus came. It says, through our union with him, speaking of uh, Christ, we have experienced the circumcision of heart. When we come to Christ, there are areas of our life that will be cut off. That's called a circumcision. Now, the circumcision in the Old Testament is a little bit personal here, but they would take every male child on the eighth day, and there was an extra piece of skin on his private parts that would be cut off on the eighth day. You guys getting hungry for lunch yet? Okay. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a picture of what God says the circumcision of heart, right? That that's a very private part where they do the circumcision. God wants to do some private work in our hearts, doesn't he? Oh, you guys, are we in the right church this morning? I'm telling you, like, the Lord wants to deal with our pride, with our lust, with our greed, with our identity, with our, with our lack of you know, acknowledgement. And God deals with envy and these things in our life like, oh, God, that's in my heart. But he, this, is a, this is what following Jesus means. It's, it's not just showing up at church and smiling and, paying your tithes and reading your Bible, God gets deep with us. And if you're not going deep, you'll never enter into that fullness with God. Never. How many want the fullness? I want the fullness. I want the fullness of His Spirit, the fullness of His presence. But He goes deep. He goes personal. Like, Lord, can we talk about this later? I mean, gosh. But this is what he says. He says, all of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away. Everybody say cut away. And is now extinct because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. Think about the word extinction. This is from the Passion Translation. It means it no longer exists. If something is extinct, they have no ability to bring it back. I like that word extinct. He goes on to say, this realm of death describes our former state for which we were held in sin's grasp. You know, sin is not just an action. It's a power that grabs you and holds you. And it's through Jesus that we get free from the bondage and the power of sin. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He came to do the job, job done. Now we have to walk in that, that he has provided for us. It says, but now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return. Everybody smile, come on. Never to return. That's good. For we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. I'm so grateful that we serve a God that loves to forgive sins. Aren't you glad? And he's not demanding, like most cultures, see God as an angry God demanding you to throw your child off a waterfall or, or kill your children or make a blood sacrifice and describes this horror of what tribesmen have gone through to hope that this God that 
They've been lied about. This narrative that they've been given, we don't have that narrative. We have the truth. God made the sacrifice for us. It was His only Son that He gave for us to prove to us, I love you, and you have great worth and value. So it's not, sin is not an action. It's a power. And I want to give you this picture of Imagine that there's a, a robot apocalypse. Can we put up that picture of the robot apocalypse? Okay. Now, I know many of you were probably talking with your spouse about this on the way to work today or on the, on the way to church today or last night over dinner, you know. You, what about the robot apocalypse? So what, what happens is this sin is like this individual robot. And it goes out and it's causing chaos. It's throwing cars, hurting people. Uh, pulling up trees. And so what happens is we go out and we start shooting these individual robots one at a time, you know. Uh, Second Amendment, we all have our guns. We go out, we take care of these robots. But the problem is, is that more robots keep showing up. So it's this ongoing thing, you know, hey, we're having a robot shooting party for the church. Come on, let's go out and kill some more robots. It's never ending. So what has to happen we have to see what Jesus did was not just give us a gun to shoot the robots. He came and he blew up the factory. You understand? Inside of us, that generator of sin, you can put up the next picture, that generator of sin, blown up. So as a Christian, we identify that Jesus has come to blow up Sin's generator in my life. And the power of sin is wrecking dead. It's gone. It's dead. And so when it tries to rise up, it's like, no, the power of sin has been conquered in my life. It goes on to say this to the Colossians. It says, everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. When you come to Christ, you're a new creation. You and I have that process to learn what it means that Jesus blew this robot factory up and that we're not supposed to be living a life of continually going after these robots and shooting these things. God has sent Jesus to blow this thing up so that sin once and all is dead inside of us. And it's a, it's a process as well because we're learning what it means to let go of all wounds, all unforgiveness, breaking off everything generationally in our lives so that sin has no grasp on us whatsoever. And the only thing we're doing, we're not, friend, we're not, it's like when someone gets healed, it's not us that's doing it, but we have the belief and the faith it will happen. And when we believe and have the faith that will happen, His power comes upon us so it happens. It's the same way when we look at the sinful nature, our fleshly nature. We have to put that to death. We have to identify with what Jesus did on the cross because there's some things inside of us that have a hard time dying. Anybody know what I'm saying this morning? Preaching to the wrong church. There's anger, there's pride, self-righteousness, lust, 
greed. Sometimes they're hard to die to, but we have to step into him and identify with the pain that Jesus went through and nail our sinful nature to the cross that we identify with what Jesus has done. Bible says, for as by a man, 1 Corinthians 15, 21, came death by a man has also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Jesus is known as the second Adam or the last Adam. Adam is known as the firstborn. If you study throughout Scripture, the firstborn get judgment and the secondborn get mercy. Just a picture that we have. And we see this throughout the Bible. The firstborn are known as those who open up the womb. That's how the Bible actually describes the firstborn. We have any firstborns here in the house? All right, firstborns. All right, look at all those firstborns. Judgment comes on the firstborn. Everybody else is the secondborn, typically, biblically. All right. Jesus was also the firstborn of all creation. He took the judgment for us so that all of us are secondborns in Jesus. We receive mercy. When it comes to Adam, Adam was the firstborn. He was judged, but now Jesus is the secondborn or the second Adam or the last Adam. And in him, we find mercy. How many are grateful for the mercy that we find in Jesus? Amen? But can I tell you that Jesus is a stumbling block? That's what the number four I want you to write in. People stumble over Jesus. They don't understand, and we have to live our lives in a way that it's going to cause people to stumble and fall. They don't get us. You're putting your trust in Jesus. Jesus is supreme. You're listening to some dead guy that was crucified in Jerusalem? You, believe, you come to church every Sunday and you believe that you heard his voice? Yeah. You pray for the sick? You believe God will heal? Yeah. You prayed for that dead goldfish? You believed it would come back to life? Yeah, I did. Got to start somewhere. And so what happens in Colossians 2.16, Paul says, why would you allow anyone to judge you? How many know that right now in our society, there's so much judgment that is being pushed upon Christians and people who are standing up to medical tyranny, especially because, you know, medical tyranny is the new communism, the new Marxism that's coming into our land. And they're using shame to try to keep us silent that we're the bad people. Because shame is a feeling of unworthiness. It's a feeling that I'm a bad person. Shame is the most used and most driving force in our modern world. How many have experienced shame and felt that? You have a different view on something medically. People want to shame you. They want to accuse you of killing people because... I'm not wearing a mask, or I'm not vaccinated, or you're not following my policy. And what happens is, is we have to throw off the shame and listen to the Lord's voice. And that's what Paul was saying. This was what go, was going on in the Colossian church. 
that we should not judge you because of what you eat or drink or insist that you keep the feast, observe the new moon celebrations or the Sabbath. So there were people in the Colossian church that were, that were celebrating some of the Jewish holidays, celebrating the new moon festival. Have I ever been to a new moon festival? No. It sounds new agey, doesn't it? It's actually very biblical. The Jews would celebrate every Sabbath, the first day of the week. They would celebrate every new moon, the first day of the month, and they would have seven feasts that they would celebrate throughout the year. So people were judging them. And as a pastor, we should invite people to celebrate those very things. We invite people, but it's never forced or coerced, or you're a bad person if you don't follow these feasts or do it the way I do it. It's an invitation. It's not legalism. Oh, you didn't celebrate Passover? How about you? I don't think you're okay anymore. No, it's an invitation to learn more about Christ and see how he fulfilled these very things. Colossians 2.20 says, Don't retreat back to being bullied by the standards and opinions of religion. How many feel bullied in this day and age a little bit? People are bullying us because of our decisions. And they say, for their strict requirements, you can't associate with that person. Don't eat that. You can't touch that. Doesn't that sound like our society today? And it's dangerous. Because what is happening through medical tyranny right now is people want us to be programmed to look at each other as an infected Petri dish. They don't want us connected. They don't want us together. They want us afraid that you're going to be spreading COVID-19. Oh, I don't even feel symptoms. Well, you're a spreader, possibly. Put a mask on. But you understand, what? remember the days when you felt sick and you stayed home? And if you did, if you were concerned, you washed your hands. Like, there's biblical... You know, when the pandemic first broke out, I went into the book of Leviticus. You know, you, you would think. I went back into the book of Leviticus, and I said, okay, here are the standards of the Bible. Wash your hands. If you're sick, quarantine yourself. These are biblical concepts. If, if you're around, you know, let people know you're sick. Call out. Unclean, unclean. No, we don't do that, but. There are biblical standards. It never quarantined healthy people. The Bible never quarantined healthy people. And by the way, my doctor is one of the smartest people on the planet. These people are smart. The guys I listen to that are not controlled by the spirit of mammon, but they listen to Jesus and they have the training to back up what I'm telling you. The answer is that If we allow ourselves to be shamed and bullied, it's going to silence us. And we have to decide, I'm not going to be bullied. I'm not going to be shamed because the truth, God gave me a mouth and I will speak out the truth. That's what we're called to do. And this is what was happening in the Colossian church. And there's, and there's ways. This morning, we had snow on the road. 
Some people stayed home. A lot of people stayed home, actually. Either you love Jesus because you're here or you, or you believe in Jesus because you're here today because you have great faith that nothing bad would happen to you, right? Or you tremendously love Jesus. Yeah, I have to be here. Or you live across the street, right? We have our neighbor here, so he's like, he, it's easy for him. Now, there's a decision you had to make. That's okay. Some people, you know, we're not fair-weather Christian. You know, if you stepped out, you got on the road, you have tires on, it's cold, you come to church. That's, you know, even though the road could be slick, you decided to come. That's good. There's a way that we have to respond to a disease that's being spread around the world, and there's different ways that you can respond. You can say, it doesn't exist. There's no way I can get it. You could lick every doorknob and just say, watch me. That's, that's, that's dumb. That's an, that's an extreme. Are you with me this morning? But there's another extreme where we become hypochondriacs, overly obsessed with getting sick. We're, we're fearful of people. We're fearful of contact. We're fearful of death. And some people, yeah, you know, some people are over here, but there are people today in government in leadership positions who are operating like hypochondriacs. That's an extreme. That's wrong. It's causing anxiety. It's destroying our society. It's causing people to disrupt our ability to, to make money, our ability to live, our ability to connect, our ability to be with our dying loved ones, our ability to have emotional health, covering the, our, the, uh, the faces of our children in school. It drives me crazy. Because we're being led not by a healthy, if you're sick, stay home, wash your hands, did you know you have a, an immune system? I don't know. What a concept. Build up your immune system. Take preventative things to help build up your body like the Bible says to. And they want me to come over here to be a hypochondriac. I won't do it. I'm, I'm not going to go over here either to try to balance them out. That doesn't work. But as a leader in this community, I'm going to speak out and say, you're bullying people. You're living, the, the, you know, the new wisdom is fear. It's a new form of wisdom. It's called fear. No. We need common sense leadership in our community. We do not have it right now. We do not have common sense leadership. So we have to call them out for what they are. You're extremists. You're hypochondriacs. You don't want a hypochondriac throwing your birthday party, by the way, or your wedding, or anything. They will kill all the fun, all the joy of life in fear that something bad might happen. This is, this is what we're called to as a church to speak out against. Number five, finally. How you guys doing, all right? You still here today? is that Jesus is a stumbling block. He will be a stumbling block. People will stumble when you stand. Even people you've known all your life, you've gone to church with, 
How many know God is on boldness right now? How many on this side know that God is on boldness right now? All right. Anybody over here think God's on boldness right now? I, I don't know. I believe it, that he is showing up when we're bold and when we're confident and firm. He's on that. We have to be bold. But Jesus is our source. And this is what Paul says to the Colossians. He says, they refuse to take hold of the true source. But we receive directly from him. And his life supplies vitality into every part of his body. Are you part of his body this morning? You're receiving vitality. I like that word. Into every part of his body through the joining ligaments connecting us all as one. The church needs to gather. We need to come together. This is a plan and a scheme of the enemy to divide us. And this is where we get strong together. He, the pronoun he, means Jesus. He's the source. He is the divine head who guides his body and causes it to grow by the supernatural power of God. You and I must, in this season, be sure that we have the thoughts of Jesus. We're not listening to the new 24-hour news source unless your 24-hour news source is Jesus. I'm not opposed to the Epic Times. <laughs> Is about the only news source I like, really. I'll, I'll promote that. But Jesus has to be the one we're listening to. Lord, what is going on? What would you have me to do? What's my assignment? Yes. Say yes to the Lord. Hey, let's stand together, and we're going to close out with this last scripture. Come on up. Come on up at this time. Let's stand together. Baby, would you come up and read this? Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in that faith, just as you were taught, about, it's a taught abounding in thanksgiving. Receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. Just first, let's just put ourselves in a place to allow the Lord to speak to us. Even as I speak these things, I don't want us to ask, answer these questions out of our mind, but the Lord would speak to our heart in this. So Lord, speak to our heart. Lord, we want you. We want to receive you as our Lord, our Savior. Lord, we want to walk in him. Lord, we want to be rooted in him, be built up in him, be established in the faith in him, be abounding in thankfulness in him so that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. Make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And for more information, videos, sermons, or events, check out our website at igateway.org. Thank you and have a blessed week.